And for that, turn to a couple of places as we continue our study of the Psalms or our kind of working through various Psalms. This morning we'll be looking at the Psalms of Lament. And if that's a new term for you, you'll understand it before we're done. Psalm 77, maybe put a piece of paper there, and then Psalm 22. And I'll probably mention a bunch of others as well, but we'll kind of anchor in those two. And now, Lord, as we prepare to open Your Word, would You open our minds and hearts? Lord, I'm convinced, as every Sunday I am, but this Sunday especially, if there are things in Your Word here that many sitting here need to hear and understand and have applied into their lives because they are gifts from Your hand for our good. And so help us now to hear and to believe, to respond with faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2 to begin. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Why are You so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but You do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Who taught you to cry? That's how Mark Vrogut begins his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, a book I've mentioned from this pulpit before. We have several on the book table which uh, I would recommend to you. And the answer, of course, is no one. No one taught you to cry. Cry is a part of being human. A cry was the first sound you heard when you were forced out of the warmth and protection of your mother's womb into this cold, hard world. We all begin our lives the same with a cry. To cry is human. But to lament is different. And I hope to show you that again this morning. Because a lament is an act of faith. And in the lament psalms, like Psalm 13, Psalm 22, Psalm 77, I've got a list of various lament songs in the bulletin. In a lament psalm, there is sorrow, but it's a sorrow that is leading somewhere. A lament is part of the process, indeed, that God will use to help move us from our suffering and hopelessness back into hope. That's why we need to learn to lament. We need to learn to lament because the world is broken. Haven't you seen that? (laughs) This world is broken and it breaks us. Sin crashes into our lives repeatedly ever since the rebellion and sin of Adam. And it's, it's, it's been crushing us ever since then. Daily, it brings into our lives and the lives of those we love sorrows and pain, illness and suffering, confusion and frustration. And that's where lament begins. Lament happens when when two things come together. First of all, your faith in the goodness and the sovereignty of God. But second, your pain and suffering in the midst of a broken world world. As you stand there believing that God is good, yes, and yet hammered by some terrible experience 
of suffering. And it's when these two things crash together and you're sitting there in your pain asking God, why? Why can't I feel His presence? Why haven't I seen His help? That's the place lament begins. And that's what I want us to look at uh, again this morning. We looked at this several years ago and it's just too important to leave completely in the past. I want us to understand the Psalms of Lament. So first of all, what is a lament? Well, lament is a biblical word that refers to a cry of pain. Jesus told His disciples in John 16.20, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. The word lament itself means a cry or wail of sorrow. Not the big you know, mammal in the sea, but wail, a crying out, a, a wail over grief and loss. You ever been there? When you just wail with pain? Well, the Bible is full of lament. In fact, about a third of the Psalms are lament psalms or contain a strong element of Lament. There's even a whole book we just saw called Lamentations. But the laments of the Bible aren't just there to tell us, hey, there's going to be a lot of crying in this world. A lament in the Bible is a cry that is leading us somewhere. It's part of the process of moving from the pain back to God. Vrogod in his book says, Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament gives voice to the strong emotions believers feel because of suffering. It wrestles with the struggles that surface. Lament typically asks two questions. Where are you, God? And if you love me, why is this happening? And while you may assume, it would be easy to assume that a lament by its nature is the opposite of praise, you'd actually be wrong. Because for the Christian, lament is very often the pathway that leads us back to praise. Psalm 42, verse 5, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And so, uh, lament is our path to praise as we are led through the brokenness back to God. Again, Brogott says the space between brokenness and God's mercy is where this song of lament is sung. Think of lament as the transition between pain and promise, it is the path from heartbreak back to hope. And so lament is how one of the ways we bring our sorrows to God for hope. And that's what I want you to see this morning. And what I want to show you is that there's a pattern in the lament psalms to this thing we call lament as God takes His grieving people on a journey back to hope. And that pattern has four key elements we'll be looking at. First, there is a cry. A cry as we turn to God in prayer. Second, there is a complaint as we raise our questions to God. Third, a request as we ask God for help. And finally, a determination to trust God leading to praise. 
So that's the outline this morning. Four key words I really want to make sure you hear. Turn, complain, ask, and trust. And each represents a step along this path back to hope as we bring our bruised hearts to God rather than running away from Him in our hurting. And so we begin with that first step. The first step on this path is turn. Turn back to God in your pain and cry out to Him in prayer. Now notice, that's the first thing the psalmist does in Psalm 22. Verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a prayer. But, but where does that prayer begin? Notice this. It doesn't begin with a theological nicety. He doesn't begin with a, a nice little devotional warm-up You know, as he eases his way into God's presence. He just comes running with the cry, My God! My God! There's an urgency here as he draws now. Draws near. Uh, compelled by our pain, this is what we must do. We must run to Him, not from Him. We must run to the God we know. Notice He's owning Him. My God. And so you train your heart to turn to God in your pain, not run from Him because of it. And it really is a choice that you have to make. The redeemed heart must learn to reflexively run to God with pain, not from Him. Psalm 77 Verse 1 and 2, we see the same thing. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. You run to God in your pain, not from Him. Like, like these little children running around. Watch when we're finished. You know, we have a lot of little kids running around. Someone's going to bump a nose or a lip. They're going to fall, right? And what, what do they do instinctively as soon as they begin to purt? Mama! Daddy! And they won't be happy with anybody else. Because I've tried. No, let me help you. No, no. <laughs> it's not going to happen. That They run to Him. You understand, for us as Christians, this is the crucial difference between the path that leads to despair and the one that brings us hope. Despair turns inward. It moves away from God and crawls down inside of itself to sit in the darkness. But lament turns up to God with its pain and runs upward along the path of prayer with cries for help. And understand, that takes faith. That is an act of faith. You might have to wrestle your bruised and broken heart to even want to seek Him. That's why I say that you have to learn this. You have to teach your heart where to go with its pain. And so you resolve here and now, when things are relatively going smoothly, you resolve here and now, I will go to God with my pain. I will talk to God and I will keep talking to Him and praying no matter what. And so limit begins as we turn our hearts back to God and cry to Him. Again, borrowing from Brogod, he says, to pray in pain, even with its messy struggle and tough questions, is an act of faith where we open our hearts to God. Prayerful lament is better than silence. Giving God the silent treatment, you ever done that? Giving God the silent treatment is the ultimate manifestation of unbelief. Despair lives under the hopeless resignation that God doesn't care, He doesn't hear, and nothing is ever going to change. People who believe this way stop praying. They give up. 
However, lament directs our emotions by prayerfully vocalizing our hurt, our questions, even our doubts. Turning to prayer through lament is one of the deepest and most costly demonstrations of belief in God. Silence is a soul killer. And so when pain invades, dear friend, open your mouth and pray. Pray, cry, shriek if you must. But pray. Now, are we saying that that will just instantly fix things? Well, no, this ain't magic. Things, in fact, may get worse at first. Asaph continues in Psalm 77, verse 2, In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. Uh, When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled I can't even speak. Listen to His cry. His prayers aren't being answered yet. They're not working, as we might say. But he still prays. Lament doesn't bring instant relief. It's not a holy painkiller. Grief is not a tame beast. You understand that. Instead, prayer at this point serves mainly to turn your attention back to God. It is the beginning of the process of seeking Him. It's not the whole process. But there you are and you don't have answers yet. And you're you're filled with more questions than anything else. Like the psalmist here, verse 7 of 77, he says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? You ever been there? Where it felt that way? You turn to God in your pain, you cry out to Him, but things just didn't change. What do you do? Well, according to the Lamentation Psalms, you keep praying. You keep bringing your questions to God. Which brings us to the second step. Not only to turn to God crying out in pain, but second, complaint. I may have to explain this one to you. But you bring your complaints and your questions to God. Back to Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, Why? Have you forsaken me? Why, God? You ever ask that? I'd be surprised unless you're just a brand new believer who's 12 years old and you've not suffered. You ever been told you shouldn't ask that? I remember in seminary there was a couple who had lost a child and they were grieving and asking, Why, God, why did you let this happen to us? Somebody sitting there said, Oh, you should never question God. I thought, you idiot, you've got to be kidding me. What are they supposed to do? What would you do? Now, the Bible is filled with hurting people who come with questions of God. I mean, how else are you going to get help unless you bring those questions to Him? The lament psalms are full of that. They teach us to bring our complaints to God. It's another reason that I love them so much. And you say, now wait a minute, complaints? Isn't that an awfully strong word to use? I mean, I I can't complain to God. Well, the psalmist did frequently. Psalm 55, verse 2. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint. And I moan. 
Psalm 55, verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan. And He hears my voice. Psalm 142, verse 2, I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my troubles to Him. Let's be honest, sometimes complaint is the only honest prayer you've got. And that's where you begin. Right? How else are you going to get where you are back to God unless you bring the complaints that are filling your mind and heart? And so you run to God with those complaints and with those questions in hand and lay them out. Psalm 145 verse 1, Hear my prayer, O God, in my complaint. Now, understand... The psalmists are very quick to bring their complaints to God, but what we never see them doing is complaining about God. There's a difference. They complain to Him about what's happened. They don't complain about Him to others. Oh, God can't be trusted. Oh, God is terrible. It's not complaining about Him to others. It is complaining to Him in the midst of my suffering and Pain. Big difference. But they take their hurts, their frustrations, their anger and sadness and whatever else they've got and they run to Him. And dear one, we have to do the same. And so you run... I mean, where else are you going to go with all that? You're just going to sit there? giving the silent treatment? No, you bring it to Him. Lament gives a faith-filled alternative to giving God the silent treatment you bring those frustrations to Him. I mean, I just think of it. You throw them at His feet. I mean, you believe He's God, right? So go to Him. Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will You forget me forever? How long will You hide Your face from me? How long must I come in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long will the enemy exalt over me? Psalm 119, 84. How long must Your servant endure this? When will you judge those who persecute me? When you get the point, you bring your Christ to Him. You tell Him your frustrations. You you don't let them keep you from Him. You let them drive you to Him. Listen to Michael Jenkins from his book, In the House of God. He said, The Psalms of Lament open us to the greatness of God who can not only hear, but also can handle our pain, our self-pity, our blame, and our our fear. Who can respond to our anger, our disillusionment in the midst of oppression and persecution, and our sense of God-forsakenness in the face of life's profound trials. The Psalms give us permission and even encouragement to lay out our struggles even if they are with God Himself. So that rather than allowing painful circumstances to keep you from Him, let them be the occasion that drives you to Him. Now, you're still not done when you complain. (laughs) Complaining is not the goal. It's a step along the way. You don't just rail at God and stomp off into the darkness. That would be worse than not coming at all. But the complaining is a turning point. Something is being reached here. In fact, something that can be life-giving. You turn to God with your complaint, ready to move on to the next step as He gives you grace to do so. But please hear me, don't get stuck at the point of complaint. Which brings us to the third step along this path. 
Having turned to God with your cry and spoken to God your complaints. Now third, ask Him. Ask of God. Begin to ask Him boldly for the help you need. Right? And so just picture the process. You've turned to God with your cry. You've lifted up your complaints. And now it's all better, right? Right? No, sorrow doesn't lift automatically. Now, I say that. Sometimes there are little complaints and little sorrows, right? And as soon as you turn to God, they're gone. Those are beautiful. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the hard ones that dig in and won't leave and continue to press in against you. Now it's time to ask Him boldly for the help that you need. Look again at Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer by night, and I find no rest. Yet, you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they turned and were not put to shame. Now, pay attention to what's happening here. It's very important. There is a subtle shift of focus that begins to take place at verse 3. Here the lament begins to move from the why of complaint to the who of request. So that in lifting up our complaints to God, we begin the process of shifting our focus back to Him and who He is. And it's not instant. It's not like it's just a you know clear step. Okay, I was complaining. Now I'm asking. You know, you, just, you don't just instantly move from one to the other. Most of the time, it's, it looks more like an eclipse. Do you remember the eclipse a few years back? How very slowly the sun moved into the shadow of the moon, and there was a mixture of light and darkness until finally there was dark, and then again until there was light. In the same way, our complaints and requests for help exist for a time side by side with one another. But there's a movement for the believer. Slowly the complaints begin to give way to the asking. And the question of who God is begins to eclipse the question of why this happened. We begin to focus more and more on who God is and less and less on the why of our pain as we continue turning to Him. Now, the why questions may not have been answered yet. In fact, many of them will never be answered. You understand that, right? Ask Job. But the mind has begun to shift its attention away from the questions of why back to the person of God and His faithful promises. And that's what must happen. Our questions must lead us back to God as the source of our help. Notice that in verse 22, David began his journey full of why. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you not listening to me? But he doesn't stop there. His questions lead him to the yet at the beginning of verse 3. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. Uh, Mark Vrogut calls this the yet bridge. Right in the middle of his complaints, David turns to consider the yet of God's character. I'm in pain, he says. I don't understand what's happening. And yet, verse 3, you, God, are holy. 
He repeats that process again further down. In verse 6 through 8, he remembers the cruelty of those who taunt him, those who are pressing against him. There's more pain to deal with, more abuse to face. And yet, we come to another yet in verse 9. Yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. You look for the yet. Because there's faith here. There is confession of God and confidence in God despite the presence of pain. And David has begun to believe that God can help and that God will help. Do you believe that God can help? Then you go to Him. You let your questions, like David's, drive you to Him, and there you begin to remember His character. There you begin to throw yourself on His mercy. There you begin to plead with Him for help, and you keep pleading. That's when you begin the asking. Vrogot in his book lists nine things that hurting people can ask God in the Psalms as they make their lament to Him. I'm going to share... See, there's a lament. Um... I'm going to share four of those with you. If you want to look at the rest of them, you can get a copy of the book. I'll even loan you mine if you want it. But one of the benefits of reading the Psalms and reading them regularly and being living in the Psalms is that they give us the words to talk back to God. They give us the words we need. Sometimes I don't have the words. And I go to the Psalms and I find that they give me the words. And so, for example, we can pray with the psalmist in Psalm 10, Arise, O Lord! Uh, Psalm 10... Uh, Verse 12, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hands. Forget not the afflicted. That means, get up, Lord, do something about this. Seven psalms contain this kind of prayer. Get up, Lord, get up and do something. Don't just sit there, help me. Now that's bold. Do you ever pray that way? Do you like the psalmist come expecting that God will get up and do something? Second, we can pray, Give me help, Lord. Psalm 60, verse 11. Oh, grant us help from the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. Our suffering often reminds us just how weak we are. So what do the weak need? The weak need help. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth. And so lament brings us to God. It reminds us that He is the help of all who call on Him. And so we call on Him. We say, get up, God. Give us the help that You've promised. That's bold praying. Third, we say, Lord, remember Your promises. Psalm 25, verse 6, Remember Your mercy, O Lord, and Your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. We ask God to remember something. It's not because He's forgotten. What you're asking for Him to do is to keep the promises that He's made. Uh, The Hebrew word steadfast love, many of you know, is the word hesed. And it refers to God's covenant faithfulness, His faithful covenant promise keeping. He's a promise keeping God. And so you come with promises in hand saying, Lord, I'm trusting You to keep Your Word and do what You said. And of course, that assumes you know His Word and what He actually said, not just stuff you've dreamed up. And so you're pleading with Him, the Bible in hand, specific promises that He has made. 
Fourth, you pray, don't be silent, Lord. Listen to my cry. Psalm 28, 1 and 2, To you, O Lord, I call, O rock, don't be deaf to me, lest if you are silent, I become like one of those who go down to the pit. I'll be like a dead man. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. You ever felt the silence of God? It's a hard place to be when the heaven feels like it's made of brass. What do you do then? Do you just give up? Just decide that you know prayer didn't work? God's got His phone on silent? He's never going to answer? Well, no, you keep ringing Him. You keep asking and knocking. You make up your mind that I'm going to continue to ask until He blesses like Jacob at Peniel. I will not let you go till you bless me. I won't. You can kill me if you want, but I'm not going to let go until I hear from you. Jesus said we ought to pray that way in Luke 18.1. He says, always pray and never give up. Never give up. Keep praying until you hear from Him. And so in our suffering, we keep going boldly. We keep, as the passage in 1 Peter said this morning, 1 Peter 4.19, we keep entrusting ourselves to a faithful Creator while doing good. And so, in our suffering, we go to Him. And we entrust the whole of our care and the whole of our situation into His hands. And if we're paying attention at that moment, it's when we begin to realize as we cry to Him and knock and plead that those hands we're seeking to entrust ourselves to are themselves nail-pierced. These hands know suffering. And we see that our Lord has been this way before us. He, He knows the taste of our tears. Isaiah 43, verse 4, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 5, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by His wounds, we are healed. Our hope in the midst of frustration and sorrow is found by trusting the Christ who suffered in our place. We don't just come to some idea of God in the heavens. We come to the One who was incarnate, took on our sin and suffering, died in our place on the cross that we might have life. Some of you may have wondered if I was ever going to get here, but Psalm 22 is really a psalm about Jesus. This is His psalm. The words I quoted in verse 1 are the words He Himself cries from the cross. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Mark 15.34 And so yes, David wrote them down on the paper, but these words prophetically belong to Jesus. He, in fact, is all through this psalm, isn't He? I mean, just example, verse 16 of Psalm 22, for dogs, here that would mean the Gentiles encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Remember that scene in the Gospels? They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So here is Jesus on the cross suffering the death and the misery that belongs to us in our sin. 
He put Himself there in our place. He Himself took our sufferings on Himself that we might be saved. And then the fact that He suffered in our place gives us confidence that we can come to Him with our pain. Hebrews 2 Verse 18, and because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4.15, For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us on our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can ask boldly because He understands us deeply. Jesus is the man of sorrows in the Psalms. That's what gives Him the ability to help us. That's what enables Him to understand us and meet us where we are. Listen, understand, Jesus is not sending you somewhere He Himself has never been. He's walked this path before you. And now He invites us by faith to come and walk it with Him. To bring to Him our pain and our complaints and our honesty and make our requests to God and keep making our requests all the time looking to Him knowing that He's walked this way before us. It is Christ Himself who invites us to keep on asking and to keep on coming and to keep on praying and to keep on moving in faith from the why question of the pain that dominates our minds to the who question of the God we can trust who laid Himself on the line for us. That brings us to the last step, which I'll do very quickly. But the last step as it moves us then from that place of despair to hope in this Christ, and that is the word trust. Trust. We, by faith in Christ, choose to trust Him and to keep on trusting Him. Psalm 13, 5 and 6, but, Jeff, that's just like yet, right? We're on that bridge. But, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. Or Psalm 22, verse 22, After all this suffering, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. Oh, you who fear the Lord, praise Him. What I want you to see, this is the goal of lament. Lament itself is not the end game. It's not where we're headed. It's the road that we must walk as we're headed back to Him. Lament itself is not meant to leave you in the dark with your complaints. So please, dear one, don't stay there wallowing in your depression. Complaints have their place. But don't get stuck there. Get up. Move on. Ask. Seek. Knock, as Jesus says. Continue doing that. And if you find yourself stuck in complaint this morning or at any time in the future, let that be the wake-up call. I'm stuck in complaint. Let that cause you to consciously move then to the place of asking and from the place of asking to the place of trust. And it, it might be as simple as just saying, Lord, help me trust You. I don't know how. Lord, help me. I want to trust You. Would You give it to me? Would You enable it? You said that faith itself is a gift and I need that gift because I'm all out of it. Would You give it to me?
But at some point, you must choose to trust Him. You must choose to go to it. And I'm saying choose because His Spirit enables you to do that if you're His. Even when you can't see Him, even when you don't feel His presence, because it's not about what you're feeling, even uh, if the pain endures and won't go away and the way ahead just doesn't seem clear, just doesn't seem clear. Because here's the thing, understand this. As soon as you and I begin to call out to Him, relief may not have come yet, but listen, God has. Whether you feel His presence or not, God has. God has drawn near. We know that's true from Scripture. Psalm 145, verse 18, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. And so you take hold of a verse like that and you come and you beat on that door and you keep trusting and you keep coming again and again along this pathway of lament until you reach that goal of a restored joy and a restored faith in His presence where you know that He's able to help. Because that's what faith looks like. That's what trust looks like. Uh, Trust is active, not passive. It's not just sitting there waiting for something to happen. It doesn't just sit there and moan. It gets up and moves toward God according to His promises. Uh, And this process I've been describing called lament is, is part of that process of getting you up and moving you toward Him for the help that He's promised. And not just once. Please understand that. You may have to walk this path many times. You may have to walk this path many times in one day. As often as the pain crashes in and the disappointment takes hold of you, you get up and you say, I'm crying. Lord, hear. God, it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. Where are You? But God, I'm going to ask boldly. Would You just get up and come help me? And I'm going to keep asking until You do. I'm not going to let You go. Lord, help me to trust You. Because that's what an active trust in God looks like. Now, we don't have time to get into and you get brothers and sisters with you and you lean on the help of the church. Those are other tools. But right now, just this process, you get knocked down by some sorrow or sin or disappointment. You're suddenly confronted. What do you do? Well, I pray the Lord will bring those four words to mind. Cry. Complain. Ask. And trust. Cry as you turn to God in prayer and make your bitterness known. Whatever it is. Complain. Bring your questions to Him. Throw Him at His feet. He can handle it. But don't stop there. Ask. Ask for the help you need. Take His promises in mind. Ask Him to move. And fourth, determine. Determine that you will trust Him who raises the dead. Confident that He'll hear. Not because of your feelings, but because of the promise of His Gospel and the risen Christ. He took our pain upon Himself that that you might find your hope and your help in Him. So let's go to Him. Father, every day I feel like we have to learn the lessons that are so basic but so necessary. Every day as the world presses in on us, we have to be reminded that our help and our hope is in the Lord. Every day we need to be reminded that you're not just a religion to be observed, but you're a real God, a person who has revealed yourself in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who cried out these words, My God, My God, why have you forsaken Me? Jesus Christ who in the garden said, Lord, let this cup pass. It's too much. 
And yet then looked to you and said, Not my will, but yours be done. God, we ask that our Savior would take the ones who are suffering now by the hand and lead them on this well-worn, blood-stained path where hope is found in Christ. Not in feelings, not in assumptions, but the rock-hard reality of a God who saves and a God who rescues those who put their hope in Him through His Son. Help us to do that and give Your special help to the ones who need it now in Jesus' name. Amen. So our brother comes to close this. I'll just remind again. I'll, you know I love to push books. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, a really helpful book. Another one uh, by Michael Card, A Sacred Sorrow. It's really good. I would recommend either of those. There's other good ones, but those are, those are helpful to learn the Psalms of Lament. More than anything, open the book and read the Psalms. Pray those prayers. Let them teach your heart how to cry out to God. Come, brother.